0: And welcome once again to this seance of sound that we call Scry. This episode hits a week later than expected, and for that, I apologize. Sometimes, life just gets in the way of our plans, and we do what we must. It is my hope that the experiences shared in this episode will make up for that wait. In this episode, we will look at stories concerning phantoms of a religious nature dastardly dispatch calls, and a figure who appears in reoccurring dreams that appears in the realm of the real. But for starters, we're going to look into the tale of a ghastly ghost light that would be encountered by Sasquatch 76 in the woods near his home as a youth. There's a story that has been handed down on my dad's side of the family about eerie lights that would follow people through the woods. My grandfather was the first to see them. Then my uncle and dad. Always at the edge of a clearing in the forest where we hunt. They said it always did weird things. My uncle even shot at it with his rifle and nothing happened. It just flashed and kept on moving toward him until he ran like hell. I always thought they were just trying to scare me until I saw it myself. I was 17 years old. It was already pretty dark and I was heading back in from hunting. I had my single barrel break action 16 gauge As I was passing through the woods near this clearing, I see a light out of the corner of my eye. I'd describe it as an orb of very bright, white light. The weird thing is, it didn't cast any light. It was localized. I then remembered all those old stories. This thing was floating at least a hundred yards off moving very slowly when it came to something on the ground it would just change its height and float over it returning to about knee height to me no noise at all okay now I was kind of creeped out so I yell who's there who is that it stopped then it flickered and flashed once really bright. I was blinded for a few seconds, and when my vision readjusted, it was no more than 20 to 30 yards from me, and still creeping along. I could see now that this isn't some kind of flashlight held by a person. I could clearly see there was no physical thing there, only a perfectly round sphere of white light. I shakily say, you better back off, I have a gun, I'll shoot you. It flickered again and went out. That was it for me. I turned and headed off to the path that led to my house about a mile off. A few minutes later, it appeared again, this time no more than 30 yards to my right. It was matching my movement. I started into a jog. It matched my pace. If it was a person, it would have been bobbing up and down, but it didn't. It glided smoothly, still not casting any lighter shadows among the trees. I yelled at it again, I don't know who you are, but leave me alone. You better get your ass out of here before I shoot. Once again, it flickered, flashed, and went out. That was the final straw for me. I took off like my ass was on fire, sprinting along the path through the trees, getting closer to my house. It fucking appeared on the path in front of me, only about ten yards away. It was blinding this time, brighter than before. It sped up, too. I freaked out and veered to the right. I knew there was a drop-off there. Not too steep or anything, but still hard to get down. I hit it and I slid on my side all the way to the bottom, bruised my hip, tore my pants, and put a few gouges on the stock of my old shotgun but my house was just through the woods at the bottom. I could see the porch lights. I looked back at the top of the drop-off, and the light was nowhere to be found. I made it to my house, huffing and puffing, and told my dad about it. He said, Not just a ghost story now, is it? I thought the same thing when my dad and brother told me about it. I told you I saw it, your papa saw it, your uncle saw it, now you saw it. I asked if I'd see it again, and he said that they hadn't seen it after the first time, and they were always alone when it appeared. They had even gone out looking for it at night, nothing, as far as I know, it hasn't been spotted since I saw it either. I'm 43 now. I still live in these woods, and other weird things have happened. Needless to say, I don't spend too much time in the woods after dark around here. Thank you for sharing your encounter with the world, Sasquatch 76. And I love how this spook light has made itself known to multiple members of your family spanning generations. The apparent intelligence behind this particular spook light is of particular interest as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if someday, your youngster, if you have any, tells you a tale of meeting this light out in the woods one night. In our last episode, we looked at an encounter with a buck and I mentioned my own fascination with the various tales of the little people all over the world. For our second tale, we'll share the story of King Ben 56, whose father encountered something unique after hearing reports of some of these little people. Here's his tale. As a young deputy in the Palm Springs area, my dad went on a call to an older lady's residence, who was probably in her 80s. The woman called dispatch, claiming, They're coming to get me. The little people are here. Help me. So my dad rolls out there and walks the property and makes contact with the lady. She says, They came in looking for me. They were running around the house, banging on the windows. My dad does another perimeter search and sees nothing. There's sand all the way around the house, and there's no marks other than his. He talks to her, calms her down, and leaves. About an hour later, dispatch calls. And says they can hear banging, growling, and her screams over the phone. My dad goes back out and makes contact. Again, no footprints or anything changed from an hour before he walked in his own tracks again. He talks with the woman, asking her about medications, mental illnesses, etc. All seems fine. The phone rings and she answers it. Says, Okay, I did not know. I love you too. I'll see you soon. And then asks my dad if he wants to speak to her husband. My dad talks to her husband and her husband says, Everything is okay and he sent someone over. It's all right. Sorry for the disturbance. My dad hands the phone back. My dad walks again and does not see anything out of the ordinary and leaves. At the end of the shift in the early morning, the lady calls dispatch and says, She needs my dad again and needs help this time to protect her daughter. Please get here now. She's on her way. 30 minutes later, My dad arrives, knocks, no answer. He walks around and sees the lady in her chair. He knocks again, no movement. He enters the house to find that she is dead, dead for several hours. As he walks outside to his car to wait, The daughter pulls up and had driven from Phoenix because her mom would not answer the phone after a weird call from her. My dad asks where the husband can be found and the daughter replies, her dad's been dead for the last 20 years. Kingpin56, thank you for sharing that story with us. There are a couple of things that stand out in this story that are incredibly intriguing, such as these dispatchers hearing the bangings and growls that the elderly woman claimed came from the little people. Thank you again for that story. And don't forget, if you've had an experience that you would like to share with us, you can submit it at scribepod.com, scribepodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a message at 573-203-8668. We need your stories to keep the show going, so get those encounters submitted and help us share the scare. When we return, we'll look into an account that features an entity seen in recurring dreams, who one man believes is linked to a mass murder. But first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Scry. As we continue our odyssey into the unknown, we look into an experience that was shared by Nikki Two Fists, who would have recurring dreams about a man who held violent intentions and his emergence from the dream world to that of the real, with potentially frightening impact. When I was a young lad, about 10 years old, my family relocated from Lafayette, Louisiana to Central Texas. When we moved here in 1991, I began having recurring nightmares. They were different each time, but they always had the same main character. A person I refer to as Flannel Man flannel man was a smallish squirrely fellow who had a slight limp and slumped shoulders he had fairly long hair for a man and it was unkempt and looked somewhat greasy he wore gray pants with a small tear on one knee and a dark gray t-shirt with a long sleeve red and black flannel unbuttoned over it his eyes were small and black like a rodent's. His nose was crooked, like it had been broken once and poorly set. His teeth were small and yellow, and a bit crooked, but not terribly so. He smelled of menthol cigarettes and grease, which I always believed meant that he worked on cars or in some industrial shop. A Flannel Man would regularly appear in dreams of mine, at least once a week. They were always much more vivid than your normal dreams. I can still replay them in my head to this day. The first time, I was at a family reunion of some sort, at a rustic cabin in a wooded area near a lake. It was similar to the house my grandparents had on Lake Sam Rayburn, I think it was supposed to be that house, but the layout was different. I'm sitting at a table with lots of cousins, mainly female. There is another table with adults off to the right, and from my seat, I'm facing the back door. The back door has a window. It's pitch black out there, but suddenly, Flannel Man appears. He stares at me, then slowly raises his left arm to reveal a chromed, snub-nosed revolver. He gently rests the muzzle against the glass and begins tapping it on the pane. Being a small child, I am frozen in fear and can do nothing but slide down in my seat and hide beneath the table. As I slide out of sight of Flannel Man, I hear the sounds of breaking glass, shots, and screaming. More shots, then fighting sounds, thumping sounds, then the sound of bodies being dragged and piled together is how I would describe it. Then, of course, Footsteps that culminate in flannel man squatting down, looking at me, smiling, and pointing the revolver at me. Right about the time the muzzle settles on my face, I wake up, shivering and quaking. The settings for the dreams would vary, but the result was always the same. I would be in a place where I was surrounded by people I cared about, and then I would see Flannel Man, but I was the only person in the group who would see him. When I did, I immediately knew everyone was in terrible danger. I would hide, and then the screaming would start. (laughs) The things that were the same were always the man, the chrome revolver, and the body dragging and me being the last to die. This continued for months, with me not knowing what to do about it or who, if anyone, to tell. I finally mentioned it to my mother, who, of course, chalked it up to stress over relocating. The worst dream of all was in the fall of that year we were staying at my other grandparents lake house the house has two stories and the downstairs was where the kids slept we had a bedroom with two twin beds against each wall spanning a large sliding door that overlooked the lawn heading down to the lake i awoke to the feel of a cool breeze on my face and realized that the sliding door was open as my eyes focused i realized that flannel man was in the room walking slowly past me and heading toward the bedroom door he appeared not to have noticed the two twin beds my brother and i were in tucked against the walls as they were but then he stopped and stood absolutely still It was pitch black, so black that I could only catch glimpses of him when the breeze rustled the curtain that hung in front of the sliding door. Mostly, I just sensed him. He seemed frozen, as though he was listening. Then the breeze rustled the curtain once more, and he just wasn't there. I stared frantically into the darkness, trying to detect even the slightest movement, but there was nothing. I stayed like that for what seemed like hours, listening for the creak of a doorknob, a rustle of clothing, but there was nothing there. I don't remember ever falling back asleep, but of course, I woke up that morning and the sliding door was shut and everyone was fine. The dreams continued and I began to understand as soon as they started that the vividness meant it was a flannel man dream and would sit paralyzed in fear waiting for him to show then the hiding and the screaming and the muzzle of the revolver. One day I was accompanying my mother to the grocery store on a cold December day, and as we were walking up to the store, a flannel man came out of the store. He was walking quickly, with purpose, and we briefly made eye contact, but he made no indication that he recognized me or my mother, but continued on and headed toward the parking lot. As he passed us, the paralysis that had of course instantly seized me abated, and I began dragging my mother into the store, running and yelling and looking for a place for us to hide, somewhere, anywhere, before the shooting started. Of course, nothing happened, other than I terrified my mother and probably scared a few employees of the store. I never saw Flannel Man again. The dreams stopped. I never really knew why, other than maybe I thought my freakout had stopped him from doing what I had seen him do so many times. The day, as near as I could recall, was December 3rd or 4th, 1991. If you're from this area, you may have heard of the TCBY murders or the yogurt shop murders. On December 6th, 1991, someone entered a yogurt shop and shot four girls, then stacked their bodies in a pile behind the counter and set the store on fire. They arrested some kids, but they were later released on DNA evidence and the murders remain unsolved. At the time... I wasn't really aware of the event and it wasn't until years later that I began to realize how big a deal it was, how it affected the community and all. I began to suspect that Flannel Man murdered those girls and that one girl hid while hearing the others get killed. Then she was killed last. Of course, I have no way to know. It took me the better part of a week to get this story down. I would have to stop and do something else because of the emotions reliving it would bring out. I don't know what or why all that happened, but I do know this. Flannel Man is why I carry a gun every waking moment of my life, and I honestly don't know what I would do if I saw him again. I've often thought about what I was supposed to have done. I figure I'm being shown these things for a reason, right? Was I supposed to maybe do something that one encounter? I'm a kid. We're at the grocery store. What am I supposed to do? I raised holy hell in the store about him and all I accomplished was to embarrass my mother and freak out a couple of checkout people. I'm not even sure he noticed my shock and fear when our eyes met since it all happened so fast. At least, he didn't react in any way. He looked right at me and then kept going, while I felt like I had been hit by a taser. I don't feel guilt or anything. I was just a kid, and I don't actually have any proof of anything. Just. Gut knowledge. My wife, upon hearing this story, asked me how I knew the man at the grocery store was the same man in my dreams, and not just someone similar. Most people have had a dream that was more real than normal dreams. A dream where, when you awoke, you weren't sure whether the events in the dream actually happened or not. They're more vivid than normal dreams, which fade soon after you wake up. I've had both of these types of dreams. The flannel man dreams were a third type. In those dreams, the experience was hyper real or something. Basically, I would wake up when the revolver pointed at me and flashed and I would be confused as to why I was bolting up in a bed I actually felt like the waking world was less real than the dream I had just left as a result Flannel Man was not just an abstraction someone I could project into a similar person I could pick him out of any lineup locate him in any room I could probably identify him by his smell alone. Because of the dreams, I can't stand to be around menthol cigarettes. I have never owned and will never own a revolver of any type. There was no mistake, no transference. That thing was evil. And I saw him walk out of a grocery store. Thank you, Nikki Two Fists, for that encounter. That is a terrifying tale and one that we can pray was only a dream featuring someone that you may have subconsciously seen. But then again, maybe not. Our final encounter of this episode comes from Cistercian, who would experience seeing something eerie and unusual while attending college. Let's hear his tale. I've got a creepy story. I went to college at an old Catholic seminary college. I arrived late enough in the semester that I could not drop out of any courses. I also missed orientation and knew little about how the campus was laid out. I was on the third floor hallway near the bathroom when my hair on my body began to stand on end. It grew cold and the hallway grew dark, which was weird since it was a sunny day and there were lots of windows. The hall became smoky and I could see people running around in cassocks as well as some in monks' habits. It was ultra creepy and the fear I felt was extreme. I could see through the people somewhat and the entire scene was hazy and then the people faded and the hallway became bright i immediately sought out my spiritual advisor and told him what had happened and asked him if an exorcism of the hall might not be called for and his reaction was not exactly nice he accused me of reading the history of the school, which I hadn't. He further accused me of trying to play a prank on him, which I was not. Then, in a most patronizing manner, he said, <laughs> You know, today is the day the school burned to the ground in the 1800s. That explained the cassocks we did not wear them in the more modern times. I was horrified and I told him I was not kidding and that it scared me very badly. And apparently, I was not the only person who saw stuff there. He just wanted to know if I was just jerking him around. After a bit of research, I began wearing a St. Benedict medal, which helped enormously. One of my friends at that school could see as well, and we used to joke that when you saw a monk with his hood up, he was dead. In daily life, the monks never had their hoods up, but on All Souls Day, the community would process to the cemetery to pray for the dead with the hoods up. When a monk died, he was buried in his habit, hood up. There were various places there where monks stood silently, observed only by my friend and I. They weren't scary or creepy, but on many occasions, I saw that hall grow so dark that the lights at the end were well nigh invisible and that was scary as hell it was cleaned eventually and was just fine afterwards Scribd Sistercian, thank you for sharing your encounter with us I can't help but wonder if the phantom monks that you witnessed were of a residual nature or an intelligent one. But that darkening of the hallway is certainly creepy. We would like to thank everyone who contributed their encounters and experiences with us. And don't forget to head over to Scripod.com and submit your own experience to help share the scare. Before we end this glimpse into the Obsidian Mirror, I'd also like to thank Iran Horrors for our logo design. Music in this episode appears courtesy of Shadow Vibe and Mew and appears under a Creative Commons license. And before we wrap up, I'd like to recommend that you head over to CoffinCast and give it a listen. As of this episode's release, Kristen should be back on her second season of this wonderfully entertaining podcast. So go check out CoffinCast. But for now, it's time to end this seance of sound and close the gate against all things dark. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry. This is Scry. 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 We are divided, now more than ever. We separate ourselves based on politics, race, age, favorite sports teams, religion, and even what fandoms we subscribe to. But there is one thing that we all have in common death. You're gonna die, I'm gonna die. We're all gonna die. Coffin Cast seeks to shine a light on the thing that unites us all with a mix of true crime, strange death stories, and a little education mixed in. So when you find yourself at odds with someone, just remember, they are going to die too.